Did you know that studies have shown affirmations can profoundly influence your psychological well-being, enhancing self-confidence and reducing anxiety? Here at Positive Birth Australia, we have crafted a 20-minute birth affirmations track filled with soulful, carefully curated affirmations to empower, inspire, and guide you to deeply remember the power you hold within. And to my fellow belly birth mothers, we have created a track specifically for you to honor that all birth is a sacred moment of profound significance. For only $5, you can download and immerse yourself in our affirmations track to transform your mindset in the lead up to birth and during labor, serving as a potent reminder of the inherent power and love you possess. Visit us at www.positivebirthaustralia.com or head to the show notes and follow the link provided to start your journey toward a more empowered birth experience. Welcome to Positive Birth Australia, a podcast created to empower and educate mothers along their own pregnancy journey. Each week, I'll be sharing insightful and inspiring birth stories and advice in the hopes to help you create your own positive birth experience. I'm your host, Sky Marie. Let's get into today's show. Welcome back, guys. Today's episode features birth keeper Emily sharing her two births. Emily's first birth was at home with the support of a private midwife, which she describes as an empowering experience that changed her forever. This was also the birth that ignited the fire in her to support women on their own rite of passage. When she consciously conceived her daughter, she decided to take back her power, choosing to tune into her body and trusting her intuition to guide her. Like her first birth, there came a time where she faced a challenge and needed guidance. This time around, she had no one but herself to turn to, allowing her the space to tune into her body, baby, and intuition, guiding her to do what was needed to move her baby down and have a transformative, powerful birth. I hope you guys enjoy today's show. Hi, Emily. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. Do you want to just quickly tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, So my name's Emily. I live in Melbourne. Um, I have my wonderful husband, Jay, and we have our son, Michael, who is two, and um, our little girl, Stevie, who's about 10 weeks old now. Mm. And um, I am a birth keeper. So what that means in a nutshell is that I just support women who want to birth um, completely independent of the system mm-hmm. is what I do for work. So you won't go to a hospital setting? You only go to women that are wanting to free birth? Yeah, I, technically I don't consider it a free birth if I'm there because women are hiring me for my knowledge of oh, okay. um, natural childbirth. But, um, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't attend hospital births and I don't attend um, births with a registered midwife. Okay. Um, if, if someone I was supporting needed to transfer to hospital, obviously I would go and support them. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, we don't, I don't um, sort of take part in the, in the system at all. Yeah, okay, cool. And did you plan your pregnancies? Yes, they were both very planned and very much wanted. Um, I didn't sort of have the um, the wording around conscious conception until my second. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, my first was um, – it took us about 18 months to fall pregnant with our first, so he was very much wanted. Mm-hmm. How was your pregnancy with him? Uh, I'm one of those lucky people that has no morning sickness oh, whatsoever. wow, awesome. Um, I absolutely love being pregnant and, um, yeah, it was just a, a real joy being pregnant with him. I didn't – 
even have any sort of niggles until the last few weeks. I started getting a little bit of a sore back, but other than that, it was just a breeze. Amazing. And what model of care did you choose? So I, um, with him, I chose a registered midwife for a home birth um, mm-hmm. for my first. Um, there's a little bit of a story around that. Um, she actually um, got suspended during my pregnancy. Um, so she had to transfer care to another midwife, um, which was a little bit stressful. But um, Can I ask why she got suspended? Um, she... Um, one of her, one of the mums that she supported, um, decided not to have any scans, mm-hmm. um, and unbeknownst to her, delivered twins at home. <gasps> I heard about this story. Did she get suspended for that? She did. Yeah. Um, the, what? I think it was either the hospital or the ambulance um, that um, reported her, which <sighs> is just it's it's the modern day witch hunt, really. Like I could yeah. talk about that all day. Um, she did nothing wrong. She just supported the woman, but she got suspended and she wasn't allowed to practice um, while she was suspended. So she ended up handing handing in her registration. <sighs> joking I had no idea so that must have been a bit stressful for you as well being pregnant and then losing your midwife it was stressful um but she was amazing she had so many women in her care at that time and she was really amazing at finding us other midwives that would support us mm-hmm. um so I ended up having another registered midwife but um I'd, I'd had built such a great relationship with um with that original midwife that I still asked her to attend my birth just as a friend, like not in any medical capacity, but just, you know, as a friend and a sister to hold space for me, which she did, thankfully. Mm. Um, but yeah, that, um, it was, that was probably the only real stressful situation in, in that pregnancy. Yeah. Okay. And at what point did you go into labor? Do you want to take us to that moment? Yeah. Um, so with my first, I was 39 plus four when I went into labor. So, um, I didn't have any of that towards the end of my pregnancy where I'm like, Oh my God, I'm so over this. Like it was just so lucky. Yeah, It was pretty good. I finished work at 37 weeks. I worked, I worked out up until 39 weeks and then I was like, right, I'm done. And then I just woke up one night and went to the bathroom and I was like, Oh, there's my mucus plug. I guess I'm going to go into labor soon. And yeah, contraction started sort of shortly after that. Um, I, was in sort of early labor for like a whole 24 hours, like just sort of period pain, like nothing, pre-labor really. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next night I went into early labor and I would say active labor started maybe like three in the morning. Um, and I just, I classify active labor as when I sort of needed to really vocalize and not not really present anymore. Mm-hmm. Um so I did that. Um, my midwife came and checked up on me a couple of times throughout the day. Um, and then I think it was probably like maybe six o'clock at night when she came and stayed. Okay. Um, and I, like, it's been a couple of years now and time's always a bit foggy, but um, I, I jumped in the in the pool because I really wanted a water birth and I started feeling pushy. Like I started like involuntarily pushing, like at the top of any, every contraction, I just have this involuntary like kind of thing. Mm. And um I remember she asked me, she's like, oh, you know, are you feeling any pressure in your bum? And I'm like, no. Um, so she was telling me not to push. She was telling me tr- to try and breathe through it. Um, I, I, In hindsight, I think maybe she thought I wasn't fully dilated. Um, I'm pretty sure my son was posterior for a lot of my labor because I had a lot of back labor. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was um, a really trying time during my labor because I, like in hindsight, I, I was in transition um, but it lasted a, probably a good hour and a half because I was like working against what my body was wanting to do. Mm. And I remember um, coming, like telling, asking my friend, I'm like, she's telling me not to push uh, my body. Like I can't not push. I'm, you know, you, you need to tell me what to do. 
And she's like, you know, I can't tell you what to do. Like, you know, why don't you just, you know, have, have a feel, see if you can feel anything. And I, got, I, I put my finger inside and his head was right there. And I was like, wow. oh. And she's, um, so then the midwife's like, yeah, you can probably push now. I'm like, thanks. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think I probably only pushed for maybe 45 minutes and – then, yeah, he was born um, into the water. My husband sort of scooped him up and passed him under his under my legs through to me. And um, it was just like, you know you're going to love them, but that, that moment where you meet them for the first time, it was just like oh. nothing I'd ever experienced before. Yeah. Um, Were you doing your birth work at that stage? No, I wasn't. Okay. Um, that was kind of the catalyst that just got me a little bit birth obsessed. Yeah. Oh, it was just, yeah, it was the most amazing experience. And I was like, why doesn't everyone have this experience? And um, I, I got so much, it was like, it was a bit of a shock to me how much resistance I got from people for sharing um, such a positive home birth. Um, I think in hindsight, it was just probably triggering for a lot of people that had had. Um, traumatic births? Well, I don't think they would even understand it as traumatic. Okay. Like I think a lot of people just sort of disassociate from the trauma and go, well, that's just what birth is like. And then when they hear someone else having, you know, a really powerful experience, it's um, really confronting for them. Yeah, it's so sad. It is. It's so sad. And that's that's kind of what got me into doing what I'm doing because um, I really feel like it's our responsibility now to sort of spread the word that, you know, this is exactly what birth can be like yeah. and it really should be like. It's not, it's not just like a gold star that you – you know, you manage to have a birth out of your vagina. Mm. It's it's so much more than that. And it's shaped who I am as a woman, who I am as a wife, as a mother. You know, it's it's changed everything about me. Um, and I'm sure that the negative experiences do the same thing, but obviously, you know, have a different impact. Yeah, so true. And what about your placenta? Uh, really easy placenta delivery. So um, no one rushed me with it. They tucked me into bed. And they said, you know, you when you hear when you feel a bit of a heavy heaviness in your womb, um, and you might feel a little bit of a gush, just give us a call and we'll come and um, help you with your placenta. So that was probably like I, you know, was tucked into bed, had my first feed with my baby, and I think it was probably like half an hour later, I felt like a little gush, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, cool, my placenta's ready, and I gave a little push, and out it plopped, and um, really minimal blood loss, just um, a non-event really, um, but it was. Um, I remember having that moment of thought, like, I have to push something out again. <laughs> um, my midwife was like, "This one's boneless. I promise it'll be painless." And, and it was. Um, so that was, yeah, that was um, nice and easy. And then I um, handed Michael off to my husband so he could get some skin-to-skin time. And I went and had like a really long hot shower. Nice. Um, and we probably cut the cord, oh, maybe like an hour and a half, two hours after he was born. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, they just kind of tidied up, tucked us into bed and left us to go to sleep because I think he was born at 8.30 at night. So we didn't have anyone come that night. We just sort of had a really lovely sleep as a family of three and then my parents and everything came the next day. Yeah, how perfect is that? So you were in pre-labor for a little while. Was there anything in particular that you did to sort of keep up your stamina? So um, when I lost my plug um, the night before, I just went straight back to sleep, didn't think about it, yeah. um, just had like normal period pain during the day. So I just treated it like any other day. My mum came here, she cooked a whole bunch of food, like just, you know, normal day. Um, and then when I hit labour that night, I slept as much as I could. I would wake up, have a contraction, go back to sleep. Yeah. Um, 
And I did that for ages until, you know, they were just too intense that I couldn't do that anymore. Um, And I think that really set me up to have the, you know, the the staying power to not feel exhausted Mm -hmm. um, during my labor. But in saying that, um, a lot of women do get exhausted and that's fine. Um, You don't really need to, like in a physiological birth, you don't need to do stuff to keep your labor going. Like your body will will do the work. But yeah, I um like during my active labor, I I wasn't like moving around a lot, but I did spend a lot of time sort of like leaning over my kitchen bench and and rocking my hips and swaying from side to side, and that was pretty much that's my go-to for like moving that intensity through my body. Mm-hmm. Had you done any classes or read any books leading up to this birth? Um, I did Rhea Dempsey's Embracing the Intensity, Love which her. um yeah, she's amazing. Um, I did uh, like I was a bit, I became a bit of a birth junkie throughout that pregnancy. So I was doing a lot of my own reading and learning, um, and listening to a lot of podcasts. Um, so I, to be honest, I don't think I learned a stack. Um, in her training, but it was really useful for my husband. Yeah. Um, and I think at the time it was like my take on it was that it was sort of more geared towards hospital births and how to avoid all the things. Mm-hmm. Um, but the yeah, there were a couple of really good bits about sort of like understanding physiological pain, like functional pain, as opposed to I've broken my leg pain mm-hmm. and how to work with it. Um, so yeah, it was it, w- it was useful definitely. Mm-hmm. Your next pregnancy with Stevie, was that a conscious conception? It was. So we um we started trying again when Michael was nine-ish months old mm-hmm. and um, we fell pregnant, I think, three months, just under three months later, um, but we actually had a miscarriage. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, thank you. It's um, It was just devastating at the mm-hmm. time, but um, it, it was – the catalyst for me to have the, the pregnancy and the birth that I had with Stevie. Okay. Um, and I kind of feel in hindsight that, um, like I have no way of proving this obviously, but I feel like that was my son and I, I, I've got the feeling that he'll be our third child. He'll come back. Yeah, um, I, I think maybe the, the, the energy of the world at the moment was probably a little bit too much, um, whereas this one's just a, she's ready for battle. So, <laughs> so yeah, he um, – yeah, that one I miscarried at around twelve weeks. Oh man! Yeah, it was. Um, I um started spotting at just yeah eleven and a half ish weeks, and I knew straight away. And I was like, damn it! Um, I went and I went and saw an acupuncturist. Um, who is honestly the most the amazing woman. Um, she gave me some really gentle um but really effective um acupuncture treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, and some herbs and that um, I passed that um, everything sort of, yeah, within three or four days. Okay. So just at home, natural. Yeah. Can I ask for the women who have experienced a miscarriage, when you fell pregnant with Stevie, how did you manage your grief or any fears that kind of came up from having that miscarriage? Um, yeah, so that was probably a lot of the work that I had to do during my pregnancy with Stevie. Um, once we had that miscarriage, I grieved big and hard and fast um, and I feel like I got a lot of it out Um, and then it was one month later when we fell pregnant again and um, I made the the conscious decision that I was going to have a completely wild pregnancy this time around Um, and that first trimester I every time I would go to the bathroom I would I would wipe and I would look for blood like you know it was it it was always on my mind Mm. Um, and then um, but it was always sort of an invitation for me to just return back to trust and also to understand that miscarriage is natural and normal 
Um, and it's your body's genius, say, you know, identifying that there is something that's not quite right. Um, and if that was going to happen again, then that was okay. Um, mm-hmm. So I had to kind of just come to terms with it and, um, you know, thankfully it didn't happen. Yeah. Um, but it was definitely, you know, it was it was definitely on my mind. It was, It's not something that you can kind of just forget about once it's happened to you, I think. Yeah, of course. And how was your pregnancy with her? Um, again, um, no morning sickness. It was oh, just wow. amazing. Um, although I did have a lot of morning sickness with my miscarriage, oh, um, which interesting. was interesting. I felt sick as a dog for the first eight weeks. Wow. Um, but yeah, with her pregnancy, same deal, just no morning sickness. You know, there'd be a couple of days where I'd wake up and feel maybe like a little bit hungover. Mm-hmm. But um, other than that, completely fine. Um, felt fantastic in my second trimester, lots of energy. Um, third trimester, I, I was tired. Um, and I, I had a lot of pregnancy insomnia with her, which I didn't have with my first. So from about 32-ish weeks, I think. I was waking up every night, multiple times a night. And once I was awake, I couldn't really fall back asleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and then having a toddler to chase after as well. I um, carried her two weeks longer than oh. Michael as well. And how was that for you? It's the longest two weeks of my <laughs> life. <laughs> um, so I um, I always thought I would give birth to her on the new moon, yeah. which would have been at um, 40 plus two. Um, and then that day came and went and I was like, why am I still pregnant? <laughs> I, I have this conversation with my clients all the time because when they, um, you know, I've, I've supported a couple of 42 weekers mm-hmm. and they're just like, why am I still pregnant? Mm-hmm. I should have given them a month ago. And I'm like, it's okay. Baby picks their due date. They'll come when they're ready. But then when I was, it was me, I was like, why is this happening to me? <laughs> like I actually Googled the world's longest pregnancy. I was like, how, how long have I got to go? Let's, let's. I feel you. I feel yeah. you. It was hilarious. Um, but then, yeah, um, so my husband and I had gone out for dinner. Um, we left my son with my parents and had a nice dinner because it was his birthday in a few days. And I was like, well, we can't just sit at home and wait for this baby. Let's just do some stuff. So um, I woke up at about midnight and um, I was sleeping on my back and I had like a lot of discomfort in my belly. And I was like, oh, it's just from you know having a big dinner and sleeping in an awkward position. So I kind of just rolled over and went back to sleep and that happened probably three or four times in 15 minutes um, before I realized like, oh, hang on, I know, I know this, I'm having contractions. <laughs> like, so, you know, when you're kind of like awake but not really? Yes. I was just kind of rolling over and the pain would subside and I'd go back to sleep and I was like, oh, it's just you know, too much seafood. <laughs> so then I, um, yeah, once I sort of figured out what was going on, I woke my husband up and I said, oh, I'm in labor, go back to sleep. And I'm just going to do some stuff around the house. I don't need you. I'll, you know, I'll wake you up if I need you. So I um, got up. I put a lot of, you know, dishes in the dishwasher. I put a lot of washing on, just did some random stuff. And I was having like really mild um, contractions every sort of, you know, 10 or 15 minutes. Nothing, nothing major. So then I went back to bed and I woke up probably like 3.30 and then I couldn't sleep anymore. So I, you know, jumped in the shower and did my hair because you know that's what you do before you go into labor well, of course. and um it was yeah it was all just sort of really easy early labor until maybe like 9 nine thirty. it started to ramp up a little bit mm-hmm. um so I decided to just have my husband and my sister at the birth okay. and um I decided last minute to have a birth photographer as well who's a really dear friend of mine mm-hmm. it was it was a last minute decision because I really didn't want to have anyone there that was going to make me feel observed yeah um and it's kind of hard to not do that with a camera in your hand yeah true. Um, but like I said she's a really good friend and she was at my house and I asked her I said look I, I really want to have you there but 
I don't want to feel like I'm being watched. And she's like, look, if you're feeling watched, tell me, I will leave. I'll come back. I'll do whatever you need me to do. Like, um, so I was comfortable enough to, to have her there. So she came at about 1030. Um, and I, like, I was thinking about telling her to come later, but I didn't want to still be in my head. Like I was like, oh, when should I tell her to come? And I was always sort of thinking about it. Yeah. Um, so I called her and I said, look, just make your way here in the next hour. I don't want to have to think about it anymore. That's it. So then my whole birth team was here and I wasn't having to use my logical brain anymore. Yeah. Um, and that made it a lot easier to get into active labor. Um, but for me personally, it was a lot easier the second time around. Like even at about 11 o'clock, I was thinking, oh, it's not hard enough yet. Mm-hmm. Like it, I wanted to get in the pool, but I was like, no, it's not hard enough yet. And I was just waiting for it to really ramp up. Um, but I ended up deciding to jump in the pool at about 11.30 mm-hmm. and labored in there for probably an hour and a half or so. Um, and then same thing, I started feeling pushy, um, having those involuntary pushes, but not having any pressure in my bum. Mm-hmm. So exactly the same as Michael. Um, and I pushed for maybe half an hour or so and I reached inside and I could just feel the top of her head. Okay. And I pushed, to get, like I st- kept pushing for like another 20 minutes, half an hour or so and she just wasn't budging. Okay. Like she just did not move from where she was. Um, so in hindsight, I think that's probably exactly what was happening with Michael as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and But this time around, I didn't have anyone there to tell me not to push or tell me what to do. So it was, um, and which was exactly what I wanted. I wanted to have that opportunity to just trust my intuition and trust my instincts. Mm-hmm. Um, so my instincts were telling me, you have to get out of the pool. So out I got, um, sat on the toilet for a bit, um, you know, sat in a deep squat for a bit, um, and that really did the trick. And I was walking back towards the birth pool and she just dropped like, um, and then it was like full on fetal ejection reflex. She was just kind of coming out yeah. and. It was so intense. I don't. I actually don't know how women give birth on land. I was outside the pool, and she started kind of crowning, and I was like, "Nah, no way!" And I, I actually just like dove back into the because um, for me, the the water really um, provides like it just help. I feel like it helps your tissues to stretch so much. Yeah. Um, and she was born five minutes later once I um, once I jumped back into the pool. Wow. And um, yeah, with both my babies, um, I never really checked, but I pretty confident I never had a tear um, maybe a minor graze um, but nothing that needed any attention really so um, yeah I'm, I swear on I swear by water birth I think it's amazing yeah. um, and also um, you know like they call it like the midwives or the home birthers epidural um, I, I can really see that like if you mm. wait long enough to get into the pool the relief that you feel when you get in there is just like I remember when I jumped in with Michael the first time I was like I'm never getting out like this is <laughs> amazing like <laughs> is that why they tell you to wait before you get in the pool because it can slow down labor no i personally i think like if you want to jump in go for your life jump in because even if labor slows down like it will pick back up again mm-hmm. i think the maximum pain relief that you're going to get is if you wait until you're at that point where you think you can't handle it anymore yeah, right. um and then the relief that you get from jumping in is really palpable whereas if you get in too early it gives you that relief, but then it builds and builds and builds and then you're feeling like all this intensity again. Yeah, that makes so much sense. So it's, it's a bit of a mind game really. And also I, I find um, with myself and with a lot of my clients as well, when they get in the birth pool, they think, okay, we're on the home straight here. Yeah. Um, so if you get in too early, you can kind of psych yourself out a little bit. Mm-hmm. 
because I honestly feel like 80% of the work with labor is mental. Absolutely. It's a mind game, you know, like, and your body and your mind will tell you, you know, you can't do it, you can't do it, which is ridiculous because it's your body that is doing it Mm -hmm. and you can do it and you will do it. But just staying in that mindset of I am doing this, um, it makes it so much easier. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's yeah, keeping that that trick up my sleeve until I feel like I really need it. Yeah, that's a great tip. And your placenta? Um, so I had a decent gush of blood in the pool um, this time around. So I think my placenta detached w- within a couple of minutes of her being born really. Um, but it kind of stayed in there. I, I spent maybe 10 minutes in the pool, jumped out, got into bed, gave, um, gave her a feed and the after pains were just out of this world. Oh, okay. Um, so I, um, yeah, it was probably only 20, 25 minutes after she was born. I was like, nah, this placenta has got to come out. So I just sort of squatted over a bowl, gave my cord a little bit of traction and it just came right out. Um, and felt much better after that. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, the after pains were, um, a lot more intense with her. And, you know, they, they say that they get more and more intense with subsequent pregnancies. Um, but I actually did have some retained tissue with her, which I didn't know until um, three days later when it passed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, again, why that was so intense, um, which is, again, it just shows how intelligent your body is, that it knows there's something there and it works to expel it. So incredible. And did you do anything special with your placentas? So both times I had it encapsulated. Yeah, okay. And um, obviously I have nothing to compare it to, but I swear by it. I yeah. think it was such a um, – like I didn't get any baby blues. Um, I have a fantastic milk supply. Um, just I felt great. I had lots of energy. Like it was – yeah, so I mean it, it's either it either does nothing or it does a really great job. So it's, it wasn't hurting anything. So I definitely did it um, mm-hmm. the same way second time. What was the contrast between your two births? Um yeah, so I would have used the word empowering for my first birth. Mm-hmm. And for my second birth, I would have used the word powerful. Yeah. Um, and I really feel the difference. Um, I, you know, I looked to my midwife um, and to my friend to, you know, to support me and to hold me and to tell me what to do and to guide me with my first. Whereas with my second, I was just in boss mode. I was in charge the whole time and I felt so powerful that entire pregnancy um there was nobody telling me what was going on with my baby I was you know directly in tune with her and I was in tune with my body and um that that moment where I um and I I told my husband this time around I was going to catch her myself um and picking my own baby up out of the water and bringing her up to my chest and just the it's so primal and so natural and so normal but it changes you on, on a fundamental level. Yeah. What would be your biggest lesson that you've taken away from this journey? Oh, there's so much. Yeah. Um, I think so um, I could talk about this all day, but there's um, I feel like the, the mother-baby dyad is really being fractured in, um, in our modern-day maternity system yeah. and it's um, – dangerous on so many levels I feel like it's got so much to answer for when it comes to how how dysfunctional so many people are as adults and um just you know the way we mother the way we parent really um disconnects us from our intuition Mm -hmm. um and it um sort of 
takes away our trust in our own ability to determine what's best for our children. Mm. Um, and we see it from day dot, yeah, like from, from the day they're born, we've got pediatricians and maternal health nurses and all these other professionals that we're looking to to tell us, is our baby safe? Is our baby healthy? Are we doing the right thing? Mm-hmm. Um, and the more I think about it, the more I think it's absolutely ridiculous because nobody cares about my baby more than I do and nobody knows her as well as I do. Mm. Um, so therefore, I believe that I'm the person that's most well-placed to determine whether she's happy, healthy and thriving. Um, and it's um, that was a little bit of a challenge for me postpartum with her as well because she um, is a lot smaller than my son even though I carried her for two weeks longer. Mm-hmm. And she's a slower weight gainer as well. He's just a big chunky monkey. Um, so I never had to worry about, you know, am I breastfeeding right? Is he gaining weight? Because it was just so obvious to look at him. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas with her, it was a lot slower. And I found myself sort of starting to pathologize it a little bit. Like I'd weigh her and be like, oh, you know, she's only gained 15 grams a day for the last few days and maybe I'm not giving her enough milk and, you know, all the things that you tell yourself that you start to doubt yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, So I stopped weighing her because it was just stressing me out. Um, And I, you know, I mean, if you look at her, she is healthy, happy, thriving, you know, completely fine. So it was just another opportunity for me to go, well, you know, what do those numbers mean? Why am I... Why am I looking at them? Mm-hmm. Each baby really is different. Each pregnancy is different. And like she, she breastfeeds great, you know, she, and she's gaining weight perfectly for her. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just like, I mean, I, I, I warn my clients about this where when they start breastfeeding, I said, you, you're going to have someone tell you, maybe they're still hungry. Maybe you're not producing enough milk. Maybe, maybe, maybe. And, they, and these are the, like the little seeds of doubt that we put into new mother's minds, which makes them mix feed and formula feed and, you know, do all the things. Whereas if we just supported them to trust their own instincts, I feel like we would make those initial postpartum days so much less stressful and more enjoyable and, you know, build confident mothers that, you know, are are able to discern for themselves whether their babies are thriving or not, rather than, you know, looking for someone else to tell them that they're doing a good job. Yeah. Which then I guess relates back to birth, doesn't it? 100%. Um, um, but that's that's what I'm talking about. Like you know, we, the the experiences that we have in pregnancy, and labour and birth, are then going to dictate how we parent. Yeah. Um, and the system, um, like obviously you can tell from the way I, I talk, I am really biased against the, the current maternity system. But I feel like it's it's set up in a way that takes away our autonomy, mm-hmm. and I feel like that's intentional because it creates return customers, yeah. and it's um, it's sad because. Uh, it's, it's like it's just it, it could be so much more and you know there are people trying to change it from the inside like um you know the recent birth time documentary is a great example of that mm-hmm. um you know there are people that are working to try and change the system um but for myself personally i i don't believe it can be changed from the inside um i think the longer we continue to engage with the patriarchal system um the longer it survives because we're just giving it fuel yeah um, so in other words women need to take it back into their own hands which is exactly where birth should be. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying people should free birth. Um, I don't think free birth is for everyone. I think it's probably not for most people personally. Um, what I think most women want is a wise woman to support them throughout their pregnancy and birth, um, to guide them when they need a little bit of guidance or when they want a little bit of guidance, but to reflect back to them their own power, their own intuition, yeah. their own responsibility for their pregnancies, um, and support them in all their decisions. Mm-hmm. And you won't find that um, even with home birth with midwives because 
they have guidelines, they have APRA over the breathing over their necks. Like, you know, there's there's too many roadblocks mm-hmm. once you fall outside the realms of normal. You know, if you're not ticking the boxes like a twin pregnancy or post-dates or meconium or, you know, so many different things, um, then you, you fall outside what they, they're comfortable with and you lose your support. And is that because they're technically still under the system? Exactly. Um, and if, um, you know, if they do something that's against guidelines um, and they get reported for it, yeah. um, that's, you know, suspension means you have no income, you have no job, you have no livelihood. Wow. You know, it's um, a huge risk. So, you know, sooner or later they're going to have to pick between the woman and the system and picking the system means, you know, keeping their jobs, you know, feeding their families, yeah. you know, um, and siding with the woman means risking all of that. So it's, you know, it's a huge ask to put that on midwives. Yeah. So did you learn all of this before your second birth? Yeah, I was, um, yeah, even before um, even thinking about falling pregnant the second time, I'd sort of gotten right into it and just yeah. learned everything there was to learn about about birth um, and about physiological birth. Um, I've never attended a hospital birth okay. um, and, you know, um, hopefully I never will. Obviously, sooner or later, you know, the more births I attend, the more likely it is that someone need a transfer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm so thankful for allopathic Western medicine when it's needed. You know, in, in emergency situations, they're great and they are life-saving. Yeah. But really, the vast majority of the time, birth is just a normal, functional, physiological process. We don't run to the hospital every time we have a bowel movement. We don't need to run to the hospital when we're giving birth. Our bodies are designed for it. You know, we're designed to give birth. We're designed to survive birth. What key piece of advice would you give to any expectant mums out there? I think if I had to pick one piece of advice, it would be to get super clear on what you want for your pregnancy and your birth. Yeah. And I mean, like, ask all the questions to yourself um, and then ask all those questions to any prospective care providers. Mm-hmm. And and that's how you're going to find someone that really aligns with what you want. Because um, the last thing you want is to be blindsided in your labor. Mm-hmm. Like I've had a few people reaching out to me asking like, oh, um, do you think, you know, the best way to have a successful B- VBAC is to pick the right obstetrician? Mm-hmm. And, and I think if you want to pick a surgeon for your birth, you're more likely to have a surgical birth. Like, yeah. you know, if someone – really does want to go and schedule their C-section, then definitely choose an obstetrician because they're going to be, you know, um, well-placed to serve you. If you truly want, a, you know, a, a, a natural physiological birth, then finding a birth keeper, an unregistered midwife, or maybe there's a couple of midwives in the system that are really going to be comfortable with leaving you alone even when they think they shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, if that's what you want, it's you know you, you really need to dig to find these people because um, you know with with home birth midwives they're going to want to you know check with a Doppler during labour to you know check baby's heart tones or they're going to want to do a exam to see how far along you are or you know something like that and if you don't want that you need to make that super clear early in the piece mm-hmm. um, because you know informed consent is a great theory. But it doesn't work in labour because mm-hmm. anyone that's been in labour understands that you're not in the headspace to make rational, informed decisions when someone's giving you benefits and you know a benefit and risk analysis. Like it's just you're not in the mind space to be making decisions. Mm-hmm. And um, when the gatekeeper of the information is sharing that information with you in a way that gets you to do the thing they want you to do, it's not true informed consent. Mm-hmm. 
I've, the amount of times I've heard women tell me in hospital, they'd be like, do you want your baby to die? Um, when they're telling them that they need to do continuous fetal monitoring or they need to give you Pitocin or they need to do whatever they think they need to do, what are you going to say? Yes, I want my baby to die. Like it's, you know, mm. of course you're going to consent to what they're giving you. Um, so it's, yeah, it's understanding that that is what you're walking into because I think so many women walk into the system blind, not understanding how it's set up yeah. um, and then coming out going, what the hell just happened to me? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, if um, if there are any listeners who aren't yet pregnant, well done for, you know, um, doing the research beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's one thing that is really lacking um, in today's society. Like, you know, we plan our wedding for years and years before we've even met our partners. Um, but birth, we only think about it once we're already pregnant. Yeah, so true. And it's it's it's, it's going to be the most important day of your life um, and hopefully the happiest day of your life. Mm. For me, both my births were um, that, you know, especially with Stevie's, that that moment where she was born is literally the happiest moment of my life. Like mm. I can't describe it. I can't compare it to anything. It's just, the, yeah, the most ecstasy you'll ever feel. Mm. Um, so plan towards that because it's um, not something that you can leave to chance. Yeah. And we're conditioned to, to think we need to go with the flow. Like, yeah, have a birth plan, but expect that it's not going to go to plan. You know? Like we're kind of like, yeah, yeah, you have a voice until we tell you that you shouldn't and then just do what we tell you kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, do all the research. Do, learn as much as you want. Ask all the questions. Ask the hard questions um, to your care providers and probe them. You know, if, if um, you get a question, if you get an answer from them that you're not 100% comfortable with, ask again, ask more, you know, keep pushing because at the end of the day, these are services that you are paying for. It's not, you know, and, and it's optional. It's not something that you're, you know, bound to. Yeah. If you go back for baby number three, is there anything you would do differently third time around? Um, so now that I have had my free birth, um, I am comfortable having the, uh, my friend who is an unregistered midwife there with me. Yeah. Um, cause she, she's like a sister to me and I love her dearly. Um, and I wanted her at my birth with Stevie, but I didn't want to have her there um, because I didn't want to look to her. For, yeah. Whereas now that I've done that, I know within myself that I – like have that capacity to just trust my intuition, um, I'll definitely have her there just just as a sister and a friend yeah, nice. um, supporting me in the future um, because I think that's what everyone wants really. They just want someone there that's going to hold their hand and tell them they're doing a great job and repoint them towards their own power rather than taking that power and, you know, trying to save them or, or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I'll definitely have my sister there again. Um, she was amazing. So she's had um, – Two hospital births. Um, her first was a, a, a vaginal birth with an obstetrician. Second was a unnecessarian, um, <laughs> as I like to call them. And um, she so it really didn't have too much of an understanding of physiological childbirth, but she held the space so wonderfully for me. Um, and it really solidified in my mind that this is what women are meant to do for each other. Yeah. Like birth really is women's business. And my husband is amazing and so intuitive and so supportive during my birth. But having a, a female presence – um, is something really special. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you so much, Emily, for coming on today and sharing your wealth of knowledge with us all. It's been so amazing having you on. Uh, thank you for having me. No, I've, um, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. And, um, yeah, I think it's just so important to, um, like, the work that you're doing and sharing all these, you know, po- positive stories is so important. Like, it's something that we've lost as a 
as a culture, the, the sharing of birth stories. And um, the more we normalize it, the more I think it's going to enable the next generation to make better informed decisions about their care. That brings us to the end of the show, guys. Something I personally took away from Emily's journey was the fact that she knew she couldn't have her close friend present at her free birth because she knew she would look to her for guidance in the moments where she really needed to go inwards and listen to her body. That's something I can recognize I did with both of my births and can now reflect on and see how, you know, just that simple act of looking externally for help or for someone to save you could have the potential to block out any of those primal instincts that are in all of us. I found that really interesting to reflect on with my own births. Let me know if you guys had any of your own realizations over on the PBA Instagram. I'd love to hear them. And I'll see you guys next week for another episode of Positive Birth Australia.